For this episode, the first in our Hops and Period Piece flop series, we'll be covering a sword and sorcery tale that involves the battle for a throne, a fire and ice motif, warging, and an evil king with supernatural powers. No, we're not doing the last season of Game of Thrones. Instead, we'll be talking about Guy Ritchie's royal flop, King Arthur, colon, Legend of the Sword. Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the 161st episode of Hops and Box Office Flops presented by Wobam Entertainment. We are the number one bad movie and good beer podcast as rated by the Blacklegs Gang. I, Chumpzilla, will be hosting tonight for our first installment in our Hops and Period Peace Flop series. And we are starting off with Guy Ritchie's take on the Arthurian legend and his biggest flop since um, Chuck's Notes, The Man from Uncle. Wow. I thought it was going to be swept away for sure. Quick, T-dubs, start thinking uh, a British accent. <laughs> for the record, swept away really, really, really bad. Uh, but I love the man from Uncle. So despite Army Hammer's presence, it's uh, before know, we knew he bit people. <laughs> or wanted to bite people, or, allegedly. Yeah, or was into biting people. Hey, let's just be honest. You're a sucker for anything with Henry Cavill in it. So, Oh, yeah. Sign me up. Um. Also, for our younger listeners, this is when Madonna moved to London and started faking her British accent because she was the star of Swept Away and started dating Guy Ritchie, and it's been all downhill since then. And of course, our younger viewers are like, who's Madonna? It's the old lady on Instagram. Just don't worry about it. Anyway, joining me on this episode tonight is our resident longbow sniper, the Thunderous Wizard. Why have enemies when you can have friends is what I always say. Wow, deep thoughts with Jack Handy. Uh, Captain Cash and the mayor are both unable to remove the magic swords from their butts to join us tonight. But honestly, I can't blame them because this movie is um, not good. So, you know, good one to skip, guys. Kudos to you. Yeah, it's not not bad. Uh, I liked pieces of it, but that's the problem. The movie is essentially just pieces of something else because they cut like an hour and a half out of the original cut of this movie. And I don't, uh, I don't think there's a director's cut out there as far as I know, but yeah, even then that wouldn't have all hour and a half, but I mean, this movie makes literally no sense for a good portion of it. Ah, it definitely jumps around. You can feel the cuts at times for sure. But as always, you can find the pod on Twitter Facebook and Instagram at Hops and Bo Flops. You can download us anywhere the finest podcast can be found, and don't forget to check out Wobam Entertainment at Wobam E N T on Twitter and Instagram for all your frantic, hip, authorian mythos content needs. And folks, that brings us to beer. And tonight, I've gone with a beer fit for a king, a beer quickly known as being the king of beers, good old Budweiser. I'm enjoying mine in a tall boy, sourced locally from a sketchy gas station, as is tradition. 
It's your classic American lager, and it checks in with a freedom-loving 5% ABV. Frankly, it's a bit too corn syrupy sweet for my taste, and I have no idea what beechwood aging is, but I am pretty sure I don't like it. It pours like a beer. It tastes like white bread and freedom. I would say it pairs best with freshly cut grass and a sleeveless t-shirt. I'm going to give Budweiser one bad movie trailer. Much like this film, it's not good, but it'll get you started. So cheers. Cheers to you, T-Dubs. Okay, yeah. Budweiser is the king of beers like Vortigum is the king of Camelot. It is the bastard king of beers because it is not fit for the throne. Budweiser tastes like you're eating a sack of wheat smothered in poo. It sucks. With that being said, though, after a couple of tall boys of this, you would definitely be on the throne. Yeah, I I hate Budweiser. I won't even give it a half a movie. I'll I'll give you a half a Budweiser and I'm done. Yeah, I am already regretting this 25 ounce tall boy. That's a lot of that's a lot of of genetically modified yeast you're inhaling right now. America. Fuck yeah. All right. So uh, let's get on to the tale of the tape here. King Arthur, colon, Legend of the Sword, was released by Warner Brothers in 2017, and it was produced on a budget of 175 American dollars. This was a big budget movie, and they are alleged to have spent another $100 million on marketing. I will say this. I don't know what movie I was seeing in 2017, was it maybe it was Doctor Strange? I don't know. But I definitely saw the trailer for this movie. I remember seeing the trailer and being like, wow, they're really going straight up Lord of the Rings. You know, they're trying to do like a King Arthur, like Lord of the Rings style. It looks intense, big budget, you know, big sweeping like exterior shots and lots of, you know, obviously, you know, CGI special effects and stuff, even in the trailer. And oddly enough, you do get that in this movie, but it's, it's not a Lord of the Rings type epic. It's it's definitely a Guy Ritchie movie. It's set in that kind of setting, but it's still a Guy Ritchie movie. It's not uh, it's not an epic. You know, I think they had grander designs for this film and and its potential sequels. Uh, and I also remember the trailer because it included that nauseating running sequence where King Arthur and his band of merry men are running through the streets of uh, what is Camelot, you know, Londinium Castle City. Uh, Londinium. Yeah. Say it again with me, listeners. Londinium. Londinium. Tritium. Precious tritium. Now, allegedly, that's an actual real thing that is basically uh, uh, the city of London during the Roman times. So it's the Roman era London. Londinium. That's a thing. It's real. I knew this wasn't a period piece flop, and you're wrong. It's just a period piece flop with uh, mages and wargs and uh, squid women. So <laughs> again, this might be a backdoor prequel to The Little Mermaid. We'll never know. Anyway, uh, yeah. So on a budget of 175 million, with that 100 million of marketing money, it only managed to pull in 150 million dollars worldwide at the box office, which allegedly lost the studio over 150 million dollars. So yeah, ouch. This guy made zero dollars in fact it made a negative 150 some odd dollars wow that is uh, that stings folks that stings that's a lot of coin that king arthur stored in the wall of the whorehouse yeah (laughs) 
And and what really amazes me is that Guy Ritchie still got work after this, like big budget work, you know. So well, now he's a hot commodity again because Aladdin made a billion and they want him to do Hercules. Yep, yeah, and he's apparently so. gonna do Aladdin too. Apparently that's uh, coming up as well. Uh not to say the guy doesn't have talent, but yeah, this was a pretty big miss. Um, it carries a 31% critic score on Rotten Tomato with a user score considerably higher at 69%. Nice. Uh, and Metacritic gives it a not so regal 41 with a user score again considerably higher at 7.2. Now, I always say this I know with a genre flick like this, you typically get that user bump, but those numbers seem pretty high for a movie that is just not that good. Even for a hammy sword and sorcery flick, I'm not sure I'm going to give this movie anything better than like a five out of 10. It's just so uneven and not very satisfying for the most part. I think that's fair. But for some reason, there's like a manic cult following for this movie on the internet that insists it's awesome. And I think it has awesome parts for sure. But to be like, oh, you haven't seen Guy Ritchie's King Arthur? What are you doing? It's like, no, you don't you don't need to see this. I will say it is very much a Guy Ritchie movie, but it's definitely not even like a top five Guy Ritchie movie, in my opinion. But even if you're like a a Guy Ritchie, like you love Guy Ritchie movies, and I think he does good movies, right? It's sort of like being a Zack Snyder fan and then being like, well, Sucker Punch is just misunderstood. No, Sucker Punch is terrible. Sucker Punch is weird. It looks good, though. It looks good, much like this movie. Which is the same thing as this, yeah. It's, It's high concept. It just like doesn't really stick. Um, but I would even say I liked Sucker Punch better than this movie. I will say that. I would agree because this somehow bungles a story that's like ready made for it. And like, I like the changes it makes a little bit, but also like, uh, it, there's just ha- too much. You have a, a source, you know, you could Guy Ritchie it up a little bit, but the story is still there for you. Uh, you know, we'll get into it later, but yeah, I mean, I think there are probably ways you could have made this movie better. I'm not saying you're going to make the money back on it, but you might've lost less if you'd tweaked it a bit. But anyway, as far as I can tell, and unless you can correct me here, T-Dubs, I don't believe there was much in terms of behind the scenes drama here, no extensive reshoots or blown budgets. I mean, it was just literally a big budget project. Um, and it seems to have been just a misguided effort by WB to get an Arthur movie off the ground after several failed development cycles. And they ended up just throwing a ton of money at a hot director. Now, don't think about The Man from Uncle. Think more like Sherlock Holmes. Guy Ritchie was still making tons of money on those movies. Um, but you mentioned it earlier. It does seem a bit self-indulgent that Ritchie's original cut was over three hours long. And it would seem like the movie's editing in the end, the, the actual theatrical release suffered as a result. There's just too much to cut out to try to make it usable. Does it actually hurt the movie? Probably didn't cut enough, honestly. Um, and I would, uh, even according to Richie, he has admitted that the three hour director's cut is pretty much a symptom of the fact that the movie screenplay, although he co-wrote the script, uh, was actually kind of a Frankenstein's monster of several previous scripts. So he and the other guys that were working on this took other WB scripts that had been in the works and they used ideas from them. So maybe they should have just tried to, you know, stick with something more original and not try to piece other things together. Cause it made a movie that already feels like it's made up of pieces feel really made up of pieces. Yeah. And for example, like the mage woman is apparently Guinevere. She's never called that in the movie. Right. And that was like something they thought was implied, but it's really not implied at all because Guinevere is not that character. Yeah. Very strange, but you can tell 
just like when we did 2017's Justice League, that the higher ups at WB were like, no, 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 we're not putting out blockbusters that are too long. You know, this is all, this goes all the way back to Batman yeah. versus Superman. They chopped 30 minutes out of that. It really hurts the movie. And then uh, they have the two hour mandate for Justice League. And then this, I mean, if you put 30 minutes of this, I don't think it's a big deal. I, I'm not averse to long movies, though, because at two hours and seven minutes, which it is, there's so many sequences here that are just so rushed. It's almost like they're in fast forward. It's uh, it bounces around too a lot from different like groups of people, and even Arthur bounces around between groups of people at times. It almost feels like they could have probably stuck with that three hour cut and cranked out two movies. <laughs> it does a lot of telling you what it then is showing you, but in like faster motion. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to do this and then we're going to do this. And as they're talking through this plan, because this is a very Guy Ritchie thing, it's showing you yeah. doing the, them doing these things. But there's just a lot of connective tissue that's just not there, particularly like when he goes to, I don't know, what is it called? The Black Island or something. Uh, the Darklands. The Darklands. That's when the, the movie absolutely falls apart. It, when he goes on. to Dagobah. Yeah. When yeah. he goes to Dagobah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trains with Yoda. And again, uh, for some reason, we get giant snakes. Because... Uh, well- well, this will come up later, but we get one regular size snake and then one big ass snake. But anyway, um, yeah, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, it was rated PG-13. It's mostly bloodless. Um, it has a runtime of 126 minutes. And I'm sad to report that you'll have to pay to see this movie. Uh, you can find it on Amazon and other streaming services for uh, $3.99. Yeah. Uh, Why is this not on HBO Max? Like, what is the point of, of WB... <laughs> owning hbo and not putting all their movies on there i can only imagine some bizarre licensing distribution licensing agreement with some other studio yeah. or something who knows i didn't look into it because i should, don't care should definitely be on tubi it should it, sh- it should have been on youtube for crying out loud uh because clearly nobody saw this movie uh anyway uh so as we mentioned earlier this was directed and co-written by guy ritchie of snatch and sherlock holmes fame um, it stars a host of familiar faces and frequent Guy Ritchie collaborators. We have Charlie Hunnam in Bane's coat as King Arthur. We've got Jude Law as the ice, uh, I mean, uh, <clears throat> Demon King and uh, Ursula's boyfriend, Vortigern. Uh, we've got Astrid Burgess Frisbee as not Guinevere, uh, the, the way mage lady, whatever. A uh, fun fact about that, uh, T-Dubs, they saved both Guinevere and Lancelot for the unproduced sequel. So there you go. That was supposed to be the that was know, like, be revealed in the sequel. Those two characters, they and saved. It, and it wouldn't even work because her and Hunnam have no chemistry. So therefore, I would not believe they were ever married and would not care if she cheated on him with whoever would play Lancelot, which my best guess would be Jason Statham. <laughs> Knowing Guy Ritchie as I do. Either that or Brad Pitt. That's pretty much your only options. We'll throw Army Hammer in there just for good measure. Um, but no, seriously though, they uh, they, I, they yeah. They, but the character is totally played as like just this witchy woman. Like there is no chemistry there, but there's also no chemistry written into the script other than than uh, uh, you know Charlie uh, Hunnam's uh, uh, hammy attempts at flirting with her. Like, are you as into me as I'm into you, or are you falling for me? Like that's like yeah, that's a, they have one flirty it's, line. It's super eighties, and none of it works. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it doesn't. It does. It's not written to work either, frankly. And then we have Jamin Hansu as Bedvere. Bedvere. Sure. 
better beer. Yeah, that's a better beer. Uh, and then butter we get beer. Uh, but, but, butter butter bean. Uh, and then we get uh, Aiden Gillian as Goose Fat. Great name, Goose Fat. Gotta love it. And uh, last but not least, we get Eric Dirty John Banna as Arthur's dad. Unther Unther Pendragon. Underverse Pendragon. Uther. Yeah, Uther. 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 Luthor. Lex Luthor. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, no. Uh, for the most part, though. Decent performances around the board from the cast in this movie. No, no real weak parts. This had an exceptional cast, which is yeah. why it's such a shame that it's sort of wasted. Even the, even the supporting characters I didn't list, all all great. They're all everyone seems to be on the same page in this. Movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, his and, buddies and I forget their names. They have goofy names, but I yeah, like the I Warriors liked Three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, Jude Law also great villain. Because he looks evil as shit. Like he looks like he kicks puppies. I I gotta tell you that like the more the further the snake bites go into his hairline, the more evil he gets. Yeah, just how it's going in his career right now. Yeah, no, I, he makes a great villain. I liked him in Captain Marvel too. I think he made a great uh, bad guy. I'm sure Jude Law is a very nice guy when he's not banging the nanny, but he does look like a guy on screen that would kick puppies for fun. Like I buy him as a villain. Anyway, let's get on to the one-liners here. IMDb describes the movie as follows. Robbed of his birthright, Arthur comes up the hard way in the back alleys of the city. But once he pulls the sword from the stone, he is forced to acknowledge his true legacy, whether he likes it or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. I would say a mage, a knight, and one smoking sword and a stone. That's a lock, stock, and two smoking barrels reference there, listeners. If you've not seen that Guy Ritchie film, check it out. It's it's basically the Evil Dead to Snatch's Evil Dead 2. Both great movies. Snatch, excellent film as well. Uh, so here's mine. Guy Ritchie's A Knight's Tale, a.k.a. King Arthur Begins. That one's good. I like that one. But anyway, let's get into the plot here. Uh, I'm going to keep this relatively brief because it doesn't really matter. It's a king arthur story we all kind of know the basics there are more montages in this movie than rocky four <laughs> so yeah, the plot does yes. not matter multiple montages mm-hmm. so this movie is a gritty reboot of the classic arthurian legend with a healthy dose of guy Ritchie's signature cinematic style this arthur grows up on the mean streets of londinium as an orphan raised in a brothel and he trains with the league of shadows after his father king uther and his mother are murdered by his evil uncle vortigern in a plot to seize the throne the now king vortigern forces the men of londinium to attempt to remove the sword from the stone after it's revealed due to the construction of his giant magic tower or something Uh, Anyway, Arthur removes the sword from the stone and is quickly captured and sentenced to death. Likely for him, he is saved by a witch who knows of his true lineage and the power of the sword. Arthur is trained in the Darklands before he and his merry band of fools develop a plan or or plans to stop his uncle's scheme to be generically evil or something. And we get a couple of very Guy Ritchie scenes and the movie takes way too long to get to the final showdown. And there, through a relatively clever plan, Arthur confronts his uncle at his castle with the help of a regular-sized snake and the aforementioned giant-ass snake, ultimately battling his uncle's demon knight form, the same one he witnessed kill his father and mother. 
Arthur slays his uncle and becomes the undisputed king of Londinium. Oh boy, the genocides he and his bloodline will commit. It's basically the British version of, oh, the places you will go. And uh, the end. Oh, and hold on. Uh, he also makes a round table at the end too. And uh, they were expecting sequels for this. Oh five, boy. How, five uh, sequels. How much did that remind you of the end of Justice League? Uh, it should have been a post-credit scene. The way they like tried to tack it into the end didn't work. They should have ended the movie and then that should have... Maybe it was a post-credit scene in the theaters. I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. I do have a few questions about this plot, such as why is Fortigern evil? Never makes sense to me. He's just he's just generically evil. Uh, and why is he the only one that knows about uh, Ursula the Sea Witch under the castle? Because uh, wouldn't everybody be making deals with Ursula, Ursula the Sea Witch to get the crown? I mean, at this point, I mean, I'm pretty sure he lives in Snake Mountain. Or does he live in Cold Mountain? Oh, Oh. Jude Law reference there. There's oh, a Jude yeah. Law reference. And that's the one with Renee Zellweger, not Jewel. I yeah. Renee Zellweger one. Yeah, the villain doesn't make any sense in this movie. So one of the things that to improve it, especially with that kind of runtime, would have been to kind of sh- cut some things and spend more time with the villains and flesh them out a bit. It's just he's evil because he's evil. And that's all we know. Well, there's something about like building a tower to make him powerful. There's... Uh, there's some kind of magic thing there. Yeah, why is a why is a mage more powerful the higher his tower gets? Because Guinevere doesn't have a tower and she seems to be just as powerful. Yeah, and 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 we see Eric Bana's King Uno uh kill the first mage guy, right? And has his crown. So they seem like they can be defeated relatively easily. Well, it's, if you have a sword that keeps you from getting burned alive. Yeah, well, that helps. But, but yeah, we have, clearly that sword's still around. I I don't know. I mean, the rules aren't super clear. But and, yes, it's preposterous that he defeats an entire army with oliphants and magic with just by climbing up one of the oliphants and cutting the head off the evil mage and then cannot beat his dim-witted brother, who's actually kind of a useless jagoff, and it's only tough when he turns into Uber Knight. Which that's never explained how he gets his demon knight form. That's just stuff that happens. I mean, I like um, I like the scene where he fights Arthur as the demon knight. I looks very I was, cool. I was impressed by some of the action. Um, that scene was I was that was good. That was a good uh, final battle. Um I like I like the the guy Richie touch of having some dialogue in it too. You know, it wasn't cheesy one-liners, but it was it was good. Uh, you know, it was good Guy Ritchie. You know, kind of smart-ass dialogue. Uh, and I was impressed with some of the action scenes for a guy that's usually doing like kind of simple gunplay. This is there was some decent stuff in this. Although, back to your Zack Snyder comments, very three hundred, lots of slow mo, lots of lots of very three hundred. Oh yeah, this swordplay, the way it flowed and stuff like that. Like, like, hey, I've seen this before. This. Good for you, Guy Ritchie. You pulled it off, but it's like we've seen this before. It goes into video game mode whenever he has the sword, where it's like, yeah, like the screen change. It's like doing a finishing ultra in Street Fighter, where the yeah. screen completely changes. Like you're in a different reality as he mows through people. And and what's really weird about the movie? I mean, that's kind of like the, the one of the twists in it is that you find out that not only does the sword make him the king. Uh, of the of the british empire effectively 
it gives him like bullet time sword powers and I, okay good twist you know it's, it's a good visual for an action movie to have that but it's like the funny thing in the movie is everyone seems to know the sword will do something except for king arthur except for arthur like the way the mage and the other guys they're all like they're training him for something but they never tell him what they're training him for he just mary sues the shit out of it yeah he gets about as much training as ray before becoming an unstoppable which is about the same amount that luke gets i mean they both went to dagobah that's about it okay anyway ah yeah so let's give this movie our beer ratings uh i'll go first i'm going to give this four pain beers because it's over two hours long Um, it's a good looking movie and like we've just discussed it does have some decent action but it's tough to follow and frankly it's just missing some like transitional scenes it just cuts from location to location and just like I, you can't even keep track of the characters you just it, it does and it doesn't matter which is great because you don't have to but even if you wanted to you couldn't um i don't even know where the locations are half the time i don't no, know it's too, really I, poorly illustrated when they're just talking and all of a sudden it's showing you something somewhere else they're like, just in, what? They're just yeah i mean they have conversations in a series of hobbit homes as far as i can tell and you never know whose hobbit home it is like whatever uh, and also, I will say this, this movie, um, not particularly funny for being a modern take on, uh, you know, the the King Arthur legend, like, because these people are not speaking the proper King's English, you know, they have a very modern accent and, and uh, vocabulary, um, you have the very Guy Ritchie scenes of them breaking down plans, and it's a very modern, like, sense of di- dialogue and diction, and yet it's not funny. They don't like, there's no jokes. They don't even like poke fun at like, you know, itself or its source material. Hell, I would have killed for a Monty Python reference at some point. You know, the movie should have been a little more self-aware. It, it's not a serious movie, but it seems to take itself seriously. So again. Well, yeah, I, I think a big part of that is Hunnam is not particularly charismatic in this film. He, he Sam, can't Sam, really care. Yeah, Sam, Sam Hummus. Kai Jordan, whatever. Uh, yeah, so what's your beer rating, T-Dubs? So I enjoyed the movie more than you, I think. So I'm like I'm like almost at two enjoyment, two pain beers. Because okay. I really like, the, the the movie looks great. It's like the best looking worst movie I've seen. It's surprisingly good looking. It really is. Like none of, the snake stuff at the end was a little wonky. But very flat that, yep very flat in that king's hall when the snake shows up but other than that i never none of the cgi took me out of it except for me when they jump off the cliff that looked a little shitty and that that's always a hard one to pull off because that's that's always tough that's a tough one just that's let them jump off a cliff yeah I mean, <laughs> tom cruise would do it shit yeah he would yeah so i'm two and two i think because there is a there is some cool action in it and that's enjoyable I, although yep. this movie is incredibly vapid uh, and then the rest of it like how nonsensical and how clearly chopped up it is it makes it really hard to get yeah. through after a while and it, it does seem to sort of fall apart midway through for about 50 minutes before sort of rebounding at the end <laughs> yeah well and to your point this movie does make you want to like it it tries. It's got just enough heart you're like oh this movie's trying I, I, I want to like I see his actual I, I want to see his director's cut that adds in quite a bit of what's missing here because 
filling out this world, whatever they're trying to build is really important to this film because Camelot and the legend and all that stuff is like a, like a side character in itself and it shortchanges all of it. Yeah. And I will warn you whether it's pain or enjoyment beers, listener, don't drink too many beers watching this movie because you won't be able to follow it at all. Like you'll, you'll zone out for 20 minutes and then be like, Whoa, I don't even know what's going on anymore. Where are these people? Who are these people? Like there's a lot of characters in this movie. And like I said, it's hard to keep track of them all because the movie does not help you. It does not help you. So view at your own risk. Okay. We've covered the plot and our beer rating. So let's take a break and hear a message from our snake warging pals at the hop nation USA podcast. Hey everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by Wovam Entertainment. We're still talking about 2017's King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. So let's cover our general impressions of the film a bit further here. And I do have some questions for you, T-Dubs. But, you know, I'll just say it. I think we've kind of summed it up nicely. I mean, the movie's got some heart. It's very much a Guy Ritchie film. It's got a couple of those signature Guy Ritchie scenes. And I do kind of like the smart aleck you know, anti-hero-esque King Arthur. It's an interesting take on the legend of King Arthur. Um, I like some of the stuff that they added with the uh, power set for Excalibur. And there's something interesting about, you know, Arthur not knowing his his full potential, but it's not, it's not executed very well. And the villain is very flat. So for a movie that's two hours long, it's kind of disappointing to have a villain that's that flat. And aside from the editing and some of the pacing, like you mentioned, that kind of dead spot in the middle, I think the biggest complaint I have is that the movie doesn't do a good job of explaining why things are the way they are and the villain's super flat. Yeah, like I think that's what bothers me the most is just the pacing is horrific. And so... I'm interested in the story up until a point. And when you keep just like zooming past things, I just lost it. Like I didn't care. The villain is not, is not great. He's totally boring, uninteresting, lacks motivation or clear motivation. And despite Jude Law's best efforts, like he can't give that guy any life. Well, for example, he's got the lady friend that betrays him okay why do we know what's the relationship is she part of a harem is that his number one lady friend like it just i I didn't get i didn't get her i'm like i thought she was guinevere at first is that supposed to be guinevere is did they did they swap it out is is did he steal her from arthur or do they know each other how does i don't i don't understand the whole resistance i mean let's be clear here all the people that end up being king arthur's posse in this i don't understand where how they came to be because in this version of the story, King Arthur's he's, Arthur's just a dude, but all of a sudden these people come out of the woodwork to help him. Well, they know of the legend, but that being said, like the resistance is relatively small considering the fact that the king is totally a prickish piece of garbage, 
And like all these willing, these people willingly like went with him when he overthrew the king that everybody loved, who just defeated an entire army. Like none of that adds up. It makes no sense. It really, and and I, I I hate to say it, but they clearly code Jude Law's guard, you know, the black legs or whatever. They're clearly bad guys because they're all dressed in black. They're wearing masks. Jude Law looks like a medieval Darth Vader. You know, they, they all look like they've just come back from a trip to the Underverse. Um, you know, they're clearly the bad guys. And then you've got this ragtag bunch of brown and green colored uh, rebels. It's like, it's very much a Star Wars-esque, you know, establishment versus the rebels kind of story, which is not just Star Wars, but it's the visuals even. I'm like, ah, I mean, I, I can tell what you're trying to tell me with the visuals, but narrative wise it doesn't really add up like i get it i can understand your visual language but why and, and uh yeah i mean it's clear he's a bad guy why would anybody like him they should all be revolting but anyway i mean so that being said i gotta ask this question t-dubs what bothered you more the weird costumes the persistence of the modern dialogue or the just flat out bad soundtrack I don't know. I guess the dialogue only because they don't go into full guy Richie mode enough. Like if you're gonna write this as one of his typical like sort of gangster, you know, high movies, heist, yeah. yeah, whatever, then go all in. And yeah. He flirts with it, but he doesn't he doesn't go full Richie. For me, I'll be honest, I can live with the dialogue because okay, I get it. That's that's the aesthetic he's going for. It's a choice, right? but the costumes really bothered me. It just, they don't make any sense. Some of them look good. Some of them are super generic and I'm sorry, but the masks on all of the, the stormtrooper knights, just, they're just goofy. It was just laughable. I just would have done away with the mask. I wouldn't I, even have the guys wear masks. I just, like that David Beckham didn't have to wear a mask because yeah. he's, just, you gotta it's, know it's David Beckham. It's David Beckham. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I mean, there's just some weird, for a movie that costs this much, I think that's the, of all the stuff that would look cheap in terms of like the computer effects and all the background shots and all that kind of stuff, I think it was the costumes that were probably the most disappointing. There's some B-movie stuff in here. Some of it, again, looks good. Some of it, not so much. I mean, it was B-movie allegory. Black legs, brown shirts, come on. Yeah, the mage yeah. army's full of Nazis, we get it. Yeah, it's not, it's, I mean, it's not so subtle. Again, they're very coded as the bad guys, it's clear. Um, and, you know, we get to the end and we see King Arthur fight his uncle's demon knight form. And, oh, big spoiler, the bad guy in the movie is the bad guy in the movie. Is it a coincidence, T-Dubs, that this was released the same year as Wonder Woman? And they're virtually the same bad guy? <laughs> And they basically end the same way. Yeah. Except yeah. it wasn't, she, she was the weapon, not the sword. But I mean, come and on. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's <laughs> even the scene in Wonder Woman where she's basically clotheslining people at the airport runway. And it goes into like a different, like, you know, it's, it's like a supernova, like, here she mm -hmm. is. And the background's changed and she's moving at hyperspeed. And it's like, oh, this is just like when he uses the sword. So it's it's the same visual, and, and this movie was actually probably filmed before Wonder Woman because it was delayed a bit because WB was trying to find the right slot to release it in. So I, I you know, knowing that these those two movies came out the same year, I'm kind of like, hmm. But anyway, and 
you hit on this before, but I got to say it again. What the hell was that thing in Jude Law's basement? Like, and he's totally having sex with that thing, right? I think it's fair to say that Vortigern, Vortigen, whatever, Vorta. Voldemort. Yeah. yeah, Vicks Vapor Rub has a tentacle fetish. Yeah. Like, what's, a, what's up with the entirely in your basement, man? Like, oh. Just, and that's one of the things I think, like, oh, this movie has some really cool ideas and it plays with the Arthurian legend in cool ways. But there's, it doesn't do anything with it. Like, how does nobody else know that the husky tentacle lady grants evil wishes in the basement? Yeah, no, I mean, that was, uh, it, it, again, that's actually a pretty cool special effect. That was very, very cool and creepy. Like, that looked good. And, and for a while, because the movie is so bad at what it's doing, I'm like, oh, so the lady in the lake is evil in this. I get it. But that's oh, not the lady, that's that's not not the lady, the lady in the lake. Yeah. So. yeah. That's the lady in the swamp, different chick. Uh, and just to kind of go back to my Wonder Woman comment, how much of this movie's shtick was cribbed straight from Batman Begins in 300? Oh, I mean, there's a lot. There's shades of so many better movies in here. Batman Begins, 300, Conan the Barbarian. Oh, here's the tower that Thulsa Doom lives in. We have to get to the top of the tower. <laughs> and watch out for the big-ass snake. <laughs> oh, man. And then Snake Eyes is like, oh, fuck that. We got two big ass snakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, okay, so last question. Last question. Uh, would you watch a sequel? You know what? I would have. I would have if I got to see what he really intended with this one. As it yeah. stands, no, I'm not very interested. But if I could have seen all the ideas fully formed and played out, I, I'd watch a sequel to this. You know what? I would definitely watch a sequel to this. I, I would love to see this with done better, and like they could maybe try if they got another shot. There was something there; it almost worked. Um, I, I'm just dumb enough. I would, I would give a sequel as is. I would give it a shot. You, you throw in more I'm action. I'm, I'm not going to the sure. theaters, but I would totally watch this on HBO Max. Yeah. So if you're like, you know what? Let's this we we botched the story here. Forget it. Let's just have him fight with his magic sword for two hours. Sure, sign me up. Yeah, make it R-rated. Just have them kick ass the whole time. I'm there. Sign me up. Well, all right. Uh, I need to freshen up my uh, pork chop in a can here, I guess, and uh, get things ready before the competitive portion of the pod. Up next is our Londinium Calling Trivia Challenge. But first, here's a message from our Wolbam Entertainment brothel defending brothers from another mother at the Double Turn Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Boss Ross. And I'm the J-Man, and we're the Double Turn Podcast. Every Friday, we bring you the best in pro wrestling talk. Whether it's previews and reviews on pay-per-view events, discussing the hottest topics in pro wrestling, or bringing you a look back to some of the best matches and moments in history. We have it all for you. So check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the Anchor app. And you can also give us a follow on Instagram at the Double Turn Podcast. And we will catch you on the flip side. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by Wobam Entertainment. Now, it is time for the Londinium Calling Trivia Challenge. T-Dubs, you're playing by yourself today, so by default, you have already won. And tonight, your prize is a one-to-one replica of this movie's Excalibur. So enjoy. Hell yeah. Does it light up? Uh, I don't know, but you know what? If it doesn't, we can get Captain Cash to fix that for us. He can use some... 
that electroluminescent wire and we can get that thing glowing in no time. You know, you know what else I really liked? One of the coolest things about this movie is the way Eric Bana dies by tossing the sword up into the air and it goes through his back and then he turns into the stone. Yep, we probably should have mentioned that. That's that was a pretty interesting twist on on the, the legend of King Arthur. Yes, that is the stone the sword is embedded in. It's it's Eric Bana's corpse. It's really freaking cool. It that is, part I like that part. He, he just kind of like straight up tosses it in the air, like where's this going? And he leans forward and takes it right in the back, and then sinks to the bottom of the lake. Um, again, so clearly Jude Law knew where that was the whole time. I mean, yeah, I guess he was just trying to keep it hidden because the, there was water and like he didn't think it was a problem. And then one day all the water drains. So yeah. and he's like, oh, fudge. Everybody sees the sword now. So why didn't he just confiscate it? Oh, yeah, let me get that out of the way. That's, that's you know, that's nothing to see here. We'll take this, care of it. Like every movie where the villain's an idiot, like as soon as Arthur pulls the sword, he should be shot in the face with an arrow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they could do that sneakily too. Like, oh, you're the big winner of the prize. Here, give us the sword. We'll come give you, you know, a million gold pieces. Just come around the corner here and slit his throat. Instead, he's yeah. like, now let's make a big show of it. Now I'm going to kill you publicly. And everyone will love me because I'm essentially Donald Trump and everybody must love me, but I'm an evil shit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just gave him more character development than the movie does, but you're yeah. mostly right. But anyway, let's get on to this trivia challenge. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, tonight, your chime-ins, T-dubs, or it's a table, you sit at it, or any of the pod standards. Not a lot of quotable lines from this movie. I mean, you got the one in the opening. Is that a uh, wheel of cheese? Is that, one? <laughs> is that, what, is that what Goose Fat Bill says? I think so. I'll, I'll accept that. Um. I'm kind of sad at no point in the movie does he ask if anybody likes digs. You like digs? I like digs. And there are dogs in the movie. Oh, so dogs. Far. There are yeah. dogs. Yeah. Well, that was Brad Pitt, but he's like, oh, dogs. Dogs. Yeah. Uh, anyway, okay. Question number one Guy Ritchie was worried that Charlie Hunan, Hunnam, Hummus was worried that Charlie Hummus wasn't jacked enough for the role. In response, Hummus committed to doing several hundred push-ups a day in preparation for the filming. What was his personal best for push-ups in one day? Was it A, an even 500, B, 700, C, 950, or D, a whopping 1,050 push-up? Mm, I'm going to go with C, but I'd be disappointed if it's less than that. Final answer? Yes. Oh, I am sorry, T-Dubs. That is incorrect. It is D, 1,050 push-ups in a single day. See? Charlie Hummus did not disappoint me. He did more. Good for uh, you. Yeah, because apparently he'd lost a significant amount of weight for uh, uh, Sons of Anarchy at he's, that point. He's yeah, pretty well, skinny in that. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. muscular, but he's skinnier than this. So And uh, yeah, so they were worried uh or guy Ritchie was worried he wouldn't be physical enough for it so this is you know just from the imdb trivia but oh yeah because um, this really required so much physicality well there's he's less he's less physical in this movie than robert downey jr as the incredible boxing street fighting sherlock holmes so well you do get that one shirtless scene where he like pumps his fist to get excited i don't even know what that's yeah for like no reason yeah he does uh, they do show him fighting a couple times which again as essentially like, oh, look, it's, it's a Sherlock Holmes movie. Kind of, yeah. And the funny thing is, I, uh, the two other actors that were seriously considered for this, 
Um, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to that one. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a good story there. After I spoil it with the question, I'll tell the story. So, okay. You've got, you've already won, but you've yet to get on the board. So let's move on to question number two. Uh, the release of King Arthur legend of the sword was delayed to avoid competition with which one of these big screen adaptations of a beloved TV show? Was it a bewitched? B, Startsky and Hutch, C, Chips, or D, Get Smart? I'm going to go with Get Smart. Ooh, D, Get Smart. That is incorrect. It was C, Chips. Are you kidding me? That chips. movie's atrocious. I, I will never understand the thinking of WB. I think that just, we're going to have to get comfortable with that. It'll I literally sense. went with the one, the only one that like made, well, Starsky and Hutch made money, but it came out yeah. like when we were in college. So that was way yeah. before, yeah. but Get Smart had the rock in it. Steve Carell was super popular. So mm -hmm. cone of silence. Okay. Well, that's still goose eggs for you, but again, you've already won. So no biggie. Let's go on to question number three. What was David Beckham's character's name in the film? Was it a trigger? Was it B Lancelot? Was it C Posh Spice, or was it D Mordecai? It was uh, E Bendit like Beckham. No, his <laughs> name was Trigger. It was a Trigger. Congratulations, T Dubs. You are on the board with one point. And let's get on to question number four. Which one of the following actors was considered for the role of Arthur? Was it A Jason Statham? B Jai Courtney, C, Brad Pitt, or D, Eric Bana? Oh, gosh. The, those guys are too old. So I, I'm going with as much as this pains me because it'd be hard for me to believe that two of the least charismatic people to appear on this pod multiple times would be up for this role, but Kai Jortney. It is Kai Jortney, yeah. So there were three actors uh, considered for this role, seriously, and it was Hummus, Jortney, and Henry Cavill, and See, allegedly, he would have been he would have been better. He would have been way sure. better. Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know how they screwed that one up. Although it would have been very very Man of Steel though, so maybe that was they didn't want to do that again. True, but he's just really good. like if you watch the Man from Uncle, he's way better at being uh, sort of an obnoxious, albeit likable guy who's full of himself. Yeah, I, I think he would have pulled up. I think he would have been better in the role too. I mean. But anyway, what's funny is, so we talked about the push-ups before. So Richie was questioning the physicality of Hunan. And uh, he's like, you know what? If, if you don't think I can do it, I know who the other two guys are. You bring those guys in here and let the three of us fight. And whoever walks out the door gets the role. Because if all you care about is the physicality. And uh, Richie's like, man, I, I like the way you talk. I hope you can act too. <laughs> And uh, turns out he was wrong about that. <laughs> yeah, he might have he might have uh, talked a bigger game than he could actually deliver. Which, oddly enough, he based some of his character on Connor McGregor, so that kind of checks out. Oh God, yeah, you can see it. You see it, yeah. yeah. Once, once I read that, I'm like, oh shit, yeah, no, I got it, I got it. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Hence, hence why eventually Lancelot betrays him and steals his wife because Connor McGregor is. Truly now the emperor who has no clothes. He's he was great. And then he wasn't great. And now he just never shuts up. It's and kind it's, of a clown. Yeah. Kind of a clown. Hey, we got two points. Let's see if you can add to that on question number five. 
Uh, the movie features a couple of MCU actors. Which one of these MCU actresses was considered for the role of the totally not Guinevere mage character? Was it A, Elizabeth Olsen, B, Evangeline Lilly, C, Scarlett Johansson, or D, Zoe Saldana? Ugh, I don't like any of those choices, honestly. I think they, I think all of them would have been better except for Evangeline Lilly. Uh, well, yeah, we're off the Evangeline Lilly train. As, as you know, she was uh, very into the Freedom Convoy. She's not happy the media said they were Nazis, even though they had Nazi flags. No, no she's, uh, yeah, right right now, they're, uh, Feige is figuring out how to get rid of her right now. She's just going to shrink her. He's sending in her to the quantum realm. So yeah. she's out, uh, never to be found again. Yeah, see, see, Marvel doesn't have Ezra Miller problems. We, we nip that shit in the bud. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. Zoe Zaldana is my answer. I think that probably is the right answer. I think that she would have been great in that role. Uh, but no, it was actually Elizabeth Olsen. They were going to let the um, Scarlet Witch no, be witchy. No. So, I mean, would she have like had a British accent for half the movie that not had it and then had it again? And then, <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think she, yeah, I think she, she would have gotten back to her gypsy roots. You can't trust her. Out, she would have pulled out the, uh, uh, the Wachovian accent for sure. Yeah, she would have uh, asked the uh, Ursula the Sea Witch to bring her kids back and sacrifice King Arthur in the in the Pit of Tentacles. <laughs> I'm not sure he would have objected to that. But that being said, do not judge until you see Doctor Strange too. I'm telling you, gotta see that movie. All right. Well, hey, uh, that's still two points, and you win by default, T Dub. So enjoy your one to one replica Excalibur that may or may not light up. Congratulations to you, sir. And that brings us to the end of the pod. And that means it's time for recommendations. So what do you have for us, T-Dubs? Okay, so from the Department of Redundancy Department, I'm going to recommend Conan the Barbarian. Mm. The brilliant John Milius directed and written 1982 adaptation of the famous Conan stories. I, I know we all said during the Conan pod, uh, the Momoa Conan pod just to watch Conan the Barbarian because mm -hmm. it's infinitely better and as a fantasy movie goes it's infinitely better than this as well uh, obviously it's very dated and it, but, it's, it's, but it's a simpler plot yeah. but it's easy to follow it's, 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 it moves from A to B and you don't feel lost at any time it's gloriously violent um, I had, uh, I've, I've read you know like there's a script out there for King Conan and I you know I've always read rumblings of that and uh, Milius is not in good health and he was going to do it. He wrote the script and obviously he can't physically do it now. I believe he suffered a pretty bad stroke, but if you're going to revive one Arnold property, just bring Conan, but let him finish where it all began. King Conan, crown of iron, crown of like throne of steel, whatever you want to call it, bring sure. Conan back. And we, and we even joked about it the other night when we were discussing this and bring Momoa back as his son. Done. And have him try, maybe even have him turn evil. Yeah, so it'd be, it'd be great. I I also watched Conan the Destroyer with my kids because that's PG. I'm doing you know air quotes there because it's really a PG thirteen movie, but it's so toned down compared but to Conan. It doesn't have any camel fucking. And it yeah, and it's I mean it's not a very good movie <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. It's your typical eighties cash grab sequel where 
you know, back in the eighties, they'd make sequels to things just because the first one was a hit and they would reduce the budget and it would be way worse than the first one. This happened mm-hmm. all the time. And Conan the Destroyer is certainly that, but it's still pretty entertaining and Mako's great as the wizard. And is, is that the one with Wilt Chamberlain? Yeah. And you get Wilt and there's some great still images online of Wilt Chamberlain and Andre the Giant with Arnold in the middle. And you see just how monstrous those guys were because yeah. Arnold I mean, is not a small guy. He, he's six foot one in his shoes. You know, plus you get Joker's number one guy, Bob, as Moloch. Yes. Thief. So. The thief. Yep. Mm-hmm. Bob so, the yeah those greatest those action figure of all time recommendations and then also um, milius the documentary about john milius who was a pretty big deal he ghost wrote tons of really great movies and he wrote rewrote apocalypse now and apocalypse now is as great as it is because of him and uh his documentary is free on tubi as well as several other places and if you're into that era of directors which would be the spielbergish era it's a great documentary. It's one of my favorite nice. documentaries. So What's it's free. the title? It's called. It's just called Milius. Milius. Yeah. Hey, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Oliver Stone also work on the original Conan script? Yeah. Yeah, capacity? he was part of it too. Yeah. So yeah, like these guys, like this golden era of Hollywood, like, yeah. uh, what's his name? So so you get like Jesus. I'm, I'm blanking now, but Spielberg and. And, uh, oh, you know, Francis Ford Coppola and George oh, Lucas yeah. and John Milius and... Yeah, and that's all late. It's all mid to late 70s. You know, the guy that did The Untouchables and... and uh, Kevin Costner. And the first Mission Impossible. Why the hell am I forgetting his name? But Because there's a great documentary about him, too. I know I've recommended, but... Brian De Palma. Yeah. So, oh, De Palma. Yeah. Jeez. Like, heat. He did Heat, too, right? No, that's Michael Mann. But Oh, it's Michael Mann. Damn. who did manhunter yeah so these guys were all floating around hollywood in the same era and they're all just brilliant guys and it's a really cool documentary so no right on excellent series of recommendations there t-dubs uh i'm gonna make a monty python reference with my recommendation too and i'm just gonna say if you want to watch a an arthurian legend uh type film just stick with the best one i've ever seen and that's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, it's a fantastically funny movie. One of the funniest movies of all time. Partially funded by Pink Floyd because they thought it'd be a great tax write-off. Um, and I just, I love that movie. You can find it on Netflix right now, um, but you don't really need to watch it on Netflix because it's so funny. Most of the clips are on YouTube. So you could basically watch it on YouTube. Yeah, you've probably seen clips from it if you haven't seen it. And then you're like, oh, that's what that is from. Like it's the Black Knight clip. The Black Knight. Yeah. yeah. Um, just, it just, and the movie is hilarious. Um, and it's, it's, just t- it's peak Monty Python. And it's a fun take on the, uh, you know, King Arthur legend. So uh, if you got time to kill and you had two options, King Arthur, colon, the legend of the sword or Monty Python and the Holy Grail, watch the Holy Grail. And for the record listeners, I tried to watch Excalibur. I know it's Zack Snyder's favorite movie. I'm the pod Zack Snyder fan. I'd never seen Excalibur. I did not like it at all. Fun fact, one of the failed development cycles before this King Arthur movie was going to be a remake of Excalibur helmed by none other than 
sex pest Brian Singer. Oh, well, the thing about Excalibur is it's very ambitious and it tells a very winding story from Arthur's bastard birth all the way up through his betrayal by his own bastard son. It's it's just very dated. And since I had no nostalgia for it, like I do Conan the Destroyer, I didn't get a whole lot out of it. But Mm. Patrick Stewart's in it and he steals every scene. Nice. And where do you find that? Just in case the listeners. I had to rent that. So that was like, yeah, two ninety nine on Amazon. So, Mm, and Conan, you have to rent Conan, the destroyer. You have to rent, of course, if you're good red blooded American that hates Budweiser, you should own the Conan movies. Red Sonia reprehensibly is free on HBO max, but Conan and Conan, the destroyer are not. You know what? It must be the same licensing agreement. That's got uh, King Arthur legend of the sword tied up who knows well all right that finishes up the pod folks and thanks again for joining us on this episode of hops and box office flops next week we have the second installment in our hops and period piece flop series we'll be reviewing the lewis and clark era almost heroes that's a that's a chris farley movie right yes it is his last leading role he died five months before the movie came out Mm. Yep. Poor Chris Farley. Rip, buddy. As always, you can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and B.O. Flops. You can find me on Twitter at Chumpzilla8. Captain Cash is at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social medias. And the Thunderous Wizard can be found on Twitter at WriterTLK. And don't forget, the Mayor McCheese can be found at HBLF McCheese on Twitter. And please, Check out Wobam Entertainment at wobamentertainment.com. If you enjoy our show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to connect with us on social media. We're always looking for new ideas or movie suggestions to review. And uh, all I got to say about this movie is five sequels. They thought they were going to get five more of these. Wow, that is ambitious, folks. All without backlack. <laughs> how are they gonna do it oh i don't know man i mean hey you know reach for the stars i guess yeah at least uh pete moss and uh slick rick and uh roger dodger would have been there so i forget the other guy's name <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right folks take care have a good night <laughs>